Welcome to You Had to Be There, the podcast where we deep dive into the weird, fun, wild, and dark moments that can only happen throughout a live music performance. I'm your host, Julia Gomberg. As a seasoned explorer of concert chaos and working in the music industry, I know more than anyone that a performance isn't just about the music. It's about the madness that happens when you're right there in the thick of it among the fans. Each episode, I'll deep dive into the lore of concert and festival venue crowds to uncover the most unforgettable concert experiences, for better or for worse. You had to be there, but if you weren't, don't worry, I've got you covered. Hey listeners, thank you so much for tuning into part two of the first official episode of You Had to Be There. I'm so excited to have you continue to embark on this podcasting journey with me. Just like I say in my intro, a concert isn't just about the music. It's about the madness that happens right when you're in the thick of it among the crowds. This will be part two of the previous episode, so if you haven't listened to that one yet, I'd go and do so so that you have an idea of what the hell I'm talking about. I'm also extremely excited to have my first ever podcast guest featured on this episode because not going to lie, like filling up minutes of solo dialogue in the first episode was a lot more painful than I anticipated between the recording and editing and re-recording and crying. It really was a lot. So I was insanely relieved when my friend Sam not only agreed to come onto the podcast, but he also delivered and he'll definitely be back for another episode where he'll talk about the even more in depth about his festival and concert journeys. Last thing before getting started, um, just a friendly reminder that while I'm kicking off this project solo, my ultimate goal is to get listeners like you to come on to the pod just like Sam did and share your experiences. Submissions are open now, so be sure to follow the official You Had to Be There Instagram at the letter U, Had to Be There Pod, and fill out the form in my bio. Okay, let's rock and roll. I mean, brave. Twenty sixteen was the year that I decided to purchase my very own three day pass to the Electric Zoo Festival. Who the hell did I think I was? Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I don't know how people do it because it is exhausting by Sunday. I remember just feeling like I went through a war by the end. My body would be so achy. So the next two years, I just did two days as if that's cutting some slack, but really two days was a lot as well. So like I said, Randall's Island is the home of Electric Zoo, um, and I was doing some research about Randall's Island's history, and it's quite interesting to read about it. Randall's Island is a literal island at the tip of Manhattan in the East River, and it resides between East Harlem, the South Bronx, and Astoria, Queens. You literally have to either take a ferry, bus, or walk the Hellgate Bridge to the island. Wait, Hellgate Bridge? I never knew it was called that. So fitting and potentially foreshadowing. The island itself has a history of being used for asylums, hospitals, and cemeteries. You know, the usual. 
Between 1890 to 1900, Randall's Island became home to the House of Refuge for Juvenile Delinquents, the Idiot Asylum, a homeopathic hospital, the Inebriate Asylum, and the City's Insane Asylum. Today, it's the home to several public facilities, including a psychiatric hospital, a psychiatric center, and a drug and alcohol treatment facility, as well as multiple homeless shelters. Outside of these institutions and buildings, there's no residential house housing for the general public on the island. In 1935, the original Children's Hospital and House of Refuge were demolished, leaving Randall's Islands free for parkland. So that same year, a comprehensive plan for the development of the parkland at Randall's Islands would be turned into a sports complex. Icon Stadium has a really impressive history in itself, such as that in 2008, Usain Bolt broke the world record in the men's 100 meter at the stadium during the Reebok Grand Prix. Throughout its history, Randall's Island also had an impressive concert Rolodex. In 1970, they had a three-day New York rock festival that featured headliners such as Jimi Hendrix, Joe Cocker. They had Lollapalooza in New York City, the first and last one to ever exist, bringing major musical events to the park, including Smashing Pumpkins, Beastie Boys, George Clinton, and Green Day. This was a two-day festival that attracted over 50,000 fans. In more recent years, Randall's Island has been the site of three different music festivals. Governor's Ball Music Festival, which is held in June, although in recent years it's switched over to different locations throughout the city. Panorama Music Festival, which has only had a two-year run and has been on hiatus since 2018. And of course, Izu. So speaking of Izu, back in 2008, husband and wife team Mike Bindra and Laura De Palma in Long Island City, Queens, founded the management company Made Event, the premier producer of electronic music events and the creators of the Electric Zoo Music Festival. And so Izu was born. And in its inaugural year in 2009, 26,000 people attended the festival over the three-day weekend. It really seemed like they were kicking things off with good vibes, and their intention seemed pretty down-to-earth for promoters wanting to give back to the community as soon as they saw success. In 2010, Made Event donated $42,000 to Flow, an outdoor art exhibition project in coordination with the Randalls Island Park Alliance, the Bronx Museum of Arts, and Rockefeller NYC Cultural Innovation Fund. The organizers of Electric Zoo also donated $2 from every ticket sale in 2011 to the project. There's something very wholesome to me about the lack of corporate greed at the start of Made Events history, like when music was actually about the music. Unsurprisingly, Electric Zoo received global attention after scoring nominations for Best Music Event at the International Dance Music Awards over the next four years. I attended Electric Zoo in 2016, 2017, and 2018 with a large group of friends. I remember 2016 and 2017 being super fun, but 2018 felt extremely overcrowded and something shifted. Maybe I was outgrowing the festival scene and just getting old, but I also do remember being pretty checked out by my final year. Like I knew the last year I went was the last year I was going. 2018 at Izu almost felt threateningly overcrowded. I remember thinking something could go wrong at any given point of time and I am stuck in a huge crowd and my only means for exiting would be to walk over a bridge. So it was unsettling to say the least and I remember wanting to end things on a good note. So I was fine with my Izu adventures coming to a close.
For some, though, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And an example of that would be my friend Sam. Sam has so much concert and festival experience that he really was like the Navy SEALs of a concert attendee when it comes to Izu. And so he not only had attended years prior to my years of attendance, but he also continues to attend Izu every year. Um, yes. Uh, so I'm Sam, Sam Morris. I live in New York City in Manhattan. Uh, I've been friends with you, Julia, for nine years now, I think. He's also older than me, so my excuse of feeling too old for the scene is my own poor excuse. Yeah, so uh, one of my friends, Rosie, who you've met, um, she uh, probably got into the scene a little bit before me, and she knew that we had some music taste overlap, so she invited me to my first festival in 2011. Actually, I went to my first Izu in, uh, I believe it was 2012, um, and I think I've been to eight, eight of the, eight different years I've gone now, so... I think when the first time I went was the first time I even knew Randall's Island existed. And I think it's just such a cool place. It's cool that, you know, you can just walk over the bridge and it is a little bit of a long walk, but it does feel kind of like pretty remote and has a nice view of the city, like big giant fields. It was the first like kind of like really big festival I had, I had gone to and really experienced like multiple big stages, you know, even with some of the issues they've had, I, I feel like they've, done enough to redeem themselves and I've always had a good time enjoyed the music and the the production and everything so that's what's kept me going back unfortunately for the zoo corporate greed did catch up with them entertainment industry veteran Bob Silverman's SFX acquired made event in 2014 and Silverman was a big deal he had created the original SFX live events company that eventually became Live Nation in the 90s Unfortunately for Sillerman, this venture wasn't quite as successful as Live Nation. In 2016, SFX filed for bankruptcy just two years after acquiring Made Event and eventually rebranded as Lifestyle in 2019. It seems like from there, things only continued to go downhill for the festival. The next year, ahead of the 2020 Electric Zoo Festival, Mayor de Blasio of course announced that all large events in the city are to be canceled through September due to COVID-19. So Izu officially pulled the plug on its 2020 event. Luckily, Izu was back in action in 2021. Unluckily, Hurricane Ida did some damage leading up to the festival, resulting in very mucky and muddy conditions. Because don't forget, this is an island. While there is some asphalt, most of it is grass, and grass and rain means mudslides. Not fun. The following year, our familiar friends, Avant Gardner, took over the reins. They acquired Lifestyle's Made Event and Izu for $15 million. According to Billboard, Made Event was the last U.S. festival property held by Lifestyle to be sold. R.I.P. Lifestyle. Meanwhile, through the weekend of the festival, Avant Gardner ended up racking up a lot of debt, with a lot of talent agencies who booked the artists as well as the festival's vendors. Even more of Avant Gardner's shady actions were exposed after their 2022 festival takeover. According to Page Six, a source claimed that Avant Gardner bought the festival and then fired everyone who ran Electric Zoo and then rehired everyone once they found out they really couldn't put it on. According to The Gothamist, things inside the festival were a little shady too. In 2022, New York police officers were indicted after two of them were accused of stealing nearly $3,000 worth of Apes of Spades champagne from a VIP festival area. The officers allegedly put two bottles of the champagne in a backpack and were seen by one of the people who had ordered it, who confronted them in front of a security officer. 
Both officers were suspended from police duty and pleaded not guilty to the charges, which brings up to four years in prison if convicted. Damn. Let's talk about the 2023 festival experience, though, because that was by far the biggest fail Izu had seen yet. For context, general admission ticket holders paid anywhere from $179 to $329 for a three-day pass, not including fees, and platinum VIP ticket holders paid upwards of $1,000. So for festival attendees, this was a big investment, especially for out-of-town visitors who had to book lodging, transportation. It definitely adds up fast. The one interesting thing that I would say that happened before the festival even started, they sent out an email that they were... It was right before they dropped the lineup, I remember. Um, they lowered the ticket prices, like, the week before, and they actually gave refunds back to the people who already bought tickets. I think I got, like, $50 back. So you had the option either for them to just pay you back directly or for them to add money to your wristband, which I did. But yeah, I thought that was very interesting. I, you know, work in analytics and, you know, do math and math all day, every day for work. Do they really think that by dropping the price, they can sell enough tickets to make up for the money they're refunding people? Hard in my head to make that math work unless they really sold so few pre-sale tickets already. According to a Page Six source, Avant Gardner, quote, made a decision to run the festival internally and let go of all the senior people who were running Izu. They didn't even hire an actual festival production company. Now you have to think from Avant Gardner's perspective that hosting a music festival probably didn't seem that big of a feat to them considering that they are one of the biggest venues in America. But as they soon quickly found out, they were in for a rude awakening. Plannings and execution did not go quite as well as I assume they had assumed. Planning the Labor Day weekend festival allegedly didn't start until around June when typically plans start around December of the previous year. This led to a domino effect of failures for the festival, including a major decision to cancel day one. The cancellation notice became hours before gates were supposed to open on the Friday of the festival, and their reasoning was, quote, due to global supply chain disruptions. They claimed that uh, there were unforeseen circumstances due to supply chain issues that caused delays in getting the stage ready. Uh, which I think made everyone kind of raise an eye when they read it. You would think that they would have planned this well enough in advance. But according to credible inside sources, that explanation was BS. Avant Gardner said the cancellation was because they were unable to finish building the main stage in time, according to those supply chain disruptions that they claimed. But the truth was, the touring industry sources say it was actually due to not getting proper permits approved in time and the organizers' failure to pay vendors from last year's festival that led to a shortage of experienced concert professionals willing to work at this past year's event. The main festival stage caused the most issues early on Friday during an inspection of the site hours before the event was scheduled to open. City officials demanded that the staff fix several safety and security issues before the festival could open. It took organizers more than 24 hours to fix the issues leading to the festival opening two hours late on Saturday and the canceled Friday. Yeah, I remember I was actually getting a, a mani-pedi, uh, just kind of getting good Friday morning. And I remember I'd gone out the night before kind of later than I expected. So I was pretty, pretty tired Friday morning. And I was like having my, my nails right at the end and I had my phone face down and I just heard it like buzzing like repeatedly like nonstop, and i was like what is going on i don't even know if it was the official message from izu yet i don't think it was because they they announced it just by posting on instagram i believe 
not even like messaging, you know, emailing all the ticket holders, which you would think would be the way that they would, you know, try to message Asa. Definitely shocking, but I think partially because I was so tired, I was like, I'm actually kind of okay with that. But mostly just kind of shocked. I think it was, I think the doors are supposed to, or the gates are supposed to open at three. And I think this is like 1130 they sent this. So less than four hours before. Um, I know a common thing me and my friends talked about was, you know, like we live in New York City, so it's not really a big deal. Like, it's not like we had traveled in for it, had hotels for all the people that spent so much money or were only coming for Friday, driving in probably even just for the day and already on the road driving to the festival and had to, you know, realize that their plans were basically canceled for the day. Most people had bought a three-day pass far in advance and already one-third of the festival was taken away from them. Avant Gardner did make a promising statement ensuring that, quote, they will be providing a full refund for Friday tickets and for those who held multiple-day tickets will receive a credit for one of the days. And that, you know, their unwavering support has always been the backbone of Electric Zoo and that they pledge to make the remaining days of the festival an unforgettable experience, end quote. And then the biggest concern, you know, later in the day, Friday, um, was just what was going to happen for Saturday. Unfortunately for Izu and the attendees, they got an unforgettable experience. But besides that, their promise fell quite flat almost immediately. The next day on Saturday, doors were delayed two more hours after the day two festival opening. There's a lot of conjecture that the whole thing was going to get canceled, like a lot of kind of like anxiety about that, if you will, uh, just because like. Kind of the reason we stayed positive Friday is that, you know, we just, it was nice to still just hang out with friends and see them that night. But we kind of were thinking, you know, we still have the other two days of the festival. Um, so when you kind of like think that those might be taken away, it definitely started to, you know, shift the the mindset a little bit. And so Avant Gardner turned to social media to thank their fans for their, quote, unwavering support and understanding in the face of yesterday's unexpected challenges. Your patience and dedication mean the world to us, and we cannot thank you enough for being part of this incredible community. Bold choice to call it a community when they're the ones screwing everything up for the community. I think in general it harms any kind of big company when they're slow to communicate anything. I think even just communicating, still evaluating or trying to figure it out is still valuable to people. Um, silence uh, is not usually beneficial for anyone. Saturday, uh, I believe it was supposed to open at one and they pushed it back to three. It was similar. It was around like noon or pretty close to when it was supposed to open that they pushed it back. So definitely a lot of people were already on the way there on Saturday. And um, they were still kind of finishing the main stage. I think it wasn't open until 4.30 or 5 that I heard. Many people didn't receive their festival wristbands and tickets in the mail ahead of the festival as promised. The main issue that I had was, so I bought my ticket on Black Friday, uh, so way, way far in advance. I bought a ticket for my boyfriend over the summer, like a few months before the festival, and his ticket showed up in the mail just fine. And for whatever reason, mine, actually, it would be funny to kind of check the tracking now, but it was stuck in some warehouse i think in california or somewhere you know they were supposed to ship out you know a few weeks before the festival and mine just never showed up said not necessarily avant-gardeners fault directly or I, I don't know so i don't necessarily want to blame them for that but what i do want to blame them for is the will call lines on saturday once friday was canceled they definitely promoted pretty hard selling the other two days which was pretty apparent um and the will call was just over overridden basically um and the thing that frustrated me is they have all the data on how many people need to pick up from roll call. I totally understand it's hard to get 
hire more people to cover will call or set up more tents or anything in the short time frame. But I feel like they could have done something more to help with it. You know, the lines were going out way past, you know, where the ropes were kind of set up. Um, and it was like, you really kind of had to push your way to move forward. Um, if you wanted to get through in any reasonable time. According to NBC News, hundreds of attendees waited up to five hours to just pick up their tickets from Will Call. And so I waited, I believe it was close to three and a half hours in the line. Um, literally three and a half hours. Uh, it was pretty hot that day. So there was someone who like nearly fainted, like kind of half fainted just from like heat exhaustion. You know, I know I heard of some people waiting up to six hours. So it just tires you out. The videos of people standing in miles long lines was beyond insane and infuriating to me. The worst part is because it's like on an island, as I've said, it's not like you can just turn around and get on a subway. Going and leaving Randall's Island was an excursion in itself. It's like you lived there basically, or if you wanted to give up, you couldn't just change your mind and easily turn around. Uh, so I was probably like almost next in line for like half an hour. And I was like, at that point, we had, we had drank before, you know, before going in, before heading there. And like, I had sobered up. I was starting to get frustrated. The light was starting to get, the sun was starting to set kind of. So I was like, I want to get in there before it gets dark. I started to get in a pretty bad mood, to be honest, uh, before heading in. So I met up with, with everyone I was with and that was fine. I think we only really had time for two sets, but um, they were good. It was fun inside. Um, it wasn't that crowded from what I recall, which was kind of frustrating given how long the line for Will Call was because I knew there were hundreds, if not thousands of people waiting behind me. Um, but I would say it was still... It was still a fun rest of the night. You know, I, I thankfully was able to turn my mindset around, which can be a challenge. But um, yeah, it was it was fun for the rest of the time. And I did have a good, good rest of the night. Now the worst part. Sunday, the final day of Idu approaches. The festival started off a bit stronger than previous days since the gates actually did open at their scheduled time. When we got there, we, we didn't have to go to Will Call, of course, this time. Um, but uh, and I don't recall the Will Call line being too long. The line to get into the festival was longer, somewhat understandably, if less people were at Will Call. Uh, so I think it took us close to an hour, like 50 minutes, but it was moving. At least we were in line for the festival itself. But it was only a matter of time until avant-gardener organizers were forced to shut down access to the festival after the site reached maximum capacity. My boyfriend Chris looked at his phone and saw that Yuzu had posted again on Instagram saying that they had closed the gates to the festival because they reached the maximum capacity. And I remember literally thinking he was misreading it or it was an old post or something. I was like, that literally doesn't make any sense to me. Around 6.30 p.m., the festival grounds had reached capacity and those who weren't already on the island wouldn't be allowed to enter. It is with deep regret that we need to inform you that due to the challenges caused by Friday's cancellation, we have reached our venue's capacity earlier than anticipated for today on Sunday. For the safety and well-being of everyone on site, we will not be admitting any additional attendees today. If you're on your way or you were planning to come later, we kindly ask that you refrain from coming to the festival site. Because <laughs> I've never heard of that. Like, events don't reach capacity and stop letting people in. Like, I've never heard of any event, let alone a major festival. And clearly, you're mismanaging it or making a decision you're not supposed to if that's the case. It wasn't them realizing it themselves. It was the police being like, hey, you can't let more people in. But how could this be? I mean, it's a ticketed event. They should know the capacity, right? If you listen to part one of the Avant Gardner podcast episode, you probably are noticing a theme here. 
the NYPD estimated that the Avant Gardner event organizers oversold the festival's 42,500 person capacity limit by 7,000 tickets on Sunday. This led to absolute chaos. An estimated 1,500 ticket holders crashed the gates Sunday evening after the festival reached capacity. I totally get it. If, if people were waiting in line an hour like I was or like we were, you know, just to be told like at six or six thirty, like still pretty early that you're not going to get let in. Like I would like, it's very understandable for them to be upset. Um, it's like they kind of all stood there probably just like yelling and expressing their anger uh, for a while. And then eventually some people just started pushing through. I'm sure it was scary for a lot of the people in line who didn't necessarily want to push through. I would read a lot of comments online of people being, you know, scared physically for themselves just because it's a whole mob rushing and there was no way to go but with the mobs. There's a lot of videos of the police just standing around doing nothing. And, you know, like I said, I don't know what they should have been doing, but it definitely looks bad that they're all just kind of standing there like, okay, all right, like, just go ahead. Like, we're not even trying. So yeah, like how the hell is it possible that a planned festival could be at overcapacity? Unsurprisingly, after doing some research, Avant Gardner had a scummy reputation of overselling shows as much as 33%, according to reports from an independent monitor obtained by The Gothamist. I did a deeper dive about Avant Gardner's tainted history of overselling tickets at their venue, and ticket sales data in the report that I read shows that Avant Gardner sold 3,700 tickets to a show on January 29th, which is 33% higher than the venue's maximum capacity. On February 4th, that same year in 2022, ticket sales exceeded maximum capacity by 23%. Only a few days later, it was 30%. Corporate creed is so shameless, isn't it? Guess they had to make up for the $15 million festival investment somehow. The price tag for this year's chaotic festival could total to $25 million, according to former insiders at SFX Entertainment. This includes refund costs to fans who didn't make it in, as well as paying Friday night performers like the Chainsmokers, Excision, and Cascade their full booking fees. And these are some of the biggest DJs in the world, so you can imagine they have a hefty bill. I also read that the Chainsmokers, who are based in Los Angeles, took a flight to New York to play the festival and then had to be back the next morning for a Vegas show. Can you imagine the annoyance of having to travel across the entire country just to find out that the festival wasn't even opening that day? Obviously, it's first world problems, but like just the reflection of how poorly managed this event is, is really, really embarrassing for them. So let's talk about the aftermath. According to Pitchfork, New York Mayor Eric Adams made an official public statement the week following the festival stating, It's unfortunate that the Electric Zoo organizers wanted to turn our city into a zoo, and we were not going to allow that to happen, Adams said, and we will be dealing with them in the next few days based on their behavior and actions. Well, no official statements have been made from his offices since. Meanwhile, tens of thousands of people who bought tickets to the ill-fated Electric Zoo Festival are still waiting for refunds nearly six months after the chaotic event. The only success festival victims achieved was by disputing the charges for tickets with their credit card companies. Other Izu attendees, though, decided to take matters into their own hands through legal action. Five festival attendees are listed as plaintiffs, but the lawsuit aims to represent as many as 75,000 ticket buyers who had similar experiences. 
The class action lawsuit claims included a late start and poor staffing, long lines, massive overcrowding, and a literal stampede of people. I'm actually going to post a video of what it looked like on my Instagram. At, you had to be there, so make sure you check it out because you kind of have to see it to believe the chaos that unfolded that day. The 17-page lawsuit alleges that organizers of the three-day festival violated the terms of their ticket contracts with customers when they canceled night one, without notice, without reasonable exclamation. The suit alleges that two days later, the companies violated their own ticket terms again by denying entry to Electric Zoo for roughly 7,000 buyers because according to reports, the companies sold at least 7,000 tickets more than the capacity of the venue. Lawyers for the four attendees accused the Brooklyn-based company of false advertising, breach of contract, and other wrongdoing over the event. They stated that, quote, Normally this event is an audiovisual festival that creates everlasting, thrilling memories for tens of thousands of EDM fans. And while it did create everlasting memories in 2023, the memories created were not the ones which ticket holders were looking forward to. One of the plaintiffs said that he actually feared his life during Sunday's overcrowded conditions. This was only one of several lawsuits that Avant Gardner got hit with after Izu 2023. TNM, the security company that was hired on the site of Izu, sued Avant Gardner, claiming that they had terminated the arrangement prematurely and then refused to pay its fees, claiming that the venue owes the company hundreds of thousands of dollars in unpaid bills. As part of the lawsuit, TMM claims that the relationship with the venue soured in part after its reports began questioning whether the venue was overcrowded and oversold. These lawsuits have definitely been keeping them busy because not much else has been happening in the months following the disastrous three-day weekend for Avant Gardner. The only statement made by Avant Gardner since then was, quote, while the vast majority of Electric Zoo attendees had a great experience, our job is to ensure that everyone has a phenomenal experience. We will work closely with our partners to review the planning and execution of the event from start to finish. I think they created a lot of the issues they had. Like, they clearly mismanaged the whole setup and timing or vendor relationships that they had. They they messed up or or failed on all the communications to ticket holders by having Instagram be their official kind of source of updates. Um, they did communicate right away from Friday that they would be issuing refunds, but um, as you know, that has still not happened. Um, and there's been no further communication about refunds being issued. Uh, there also was notably no announcement of the Black Friday sale for tickets for the next year. So as far as I know, they're not planning to run it this year, which is the smart thing. Avant Gardner has been quiet on the festival front. They continue to churn out concert after concert at the venue space and successfully sell out shows every week. Now, I'm skeptical, though, of what a sold out show is actually supposed to feel and look like at the venue because I'd partook in plenty of sold out shows and it always did feel dangerous. So now that we know that they exceeded maximum capacity by up to 30 percent this this past year, I can't even imagine I almost I get very excited when I go to a show that that's not sold out because I know it's not going to be packed. Um, of course, I know when it says sold out, I don't know if it's really oversold or not. But there's been so many shows where we've just ended up by the back. It's felt just like crazy crowded. Um, it definitely affects the experience. And like, you know, it's very easy to bump into people, get elbowed in the face by accident. It doesn't feel super unsafe but it just feels like it really takes away from the experience that's what bothers me like when there's a lot of paying customers and then they're not paying the bills that our tickets are funding like that i find really really frustrating because where is that money going then
And recently, in addition to the top billed Izu artists still not being compensated for their festival bookings, it looks like Avant Gardner has developed a nasty habit of not paying out artists for their shows. Just last month, American funk band Wolfpack, who has over one and a half million listeners on Spotify alone, went to Instagram to call out the venue for not paying them for their gigs back in early November. They posted on their Instagram story, Artist PSA, do not do business with Avant Gardner. They still owe us money for the shows. I rolled my eyes in solitude with the band when I saw that Instagram story. Thankfully, their strategy appeared to be effective, though, because only a day later they shared another Instagram story saying, you howled, they heard, and they paid. Thank you. Just like I talked about in part one of this episode, I love to see some damn accountability. It just proves that the more noise you make, the more of a chance your voice will be heard. It took three months, but I did get the full cost, the full price of one of the tickets reimbursed. Well, obviously that helps me. I definitely know every person that does that means less money they have to give official refunds for Friday. Everyone who does that just makes it harder for them to to actually officially give them out. If let's say even 20% of the people got a full three-day refund and then they refund everyone for Friday, like they're they're really giving a lot of money back and they're probably in a bad financial spot. All of Maid Event and Electric Zoo's profiles on social media have been abandoned since that ill-fated Labor Day weekend. Except recently, I did notice that the eZoo Twitter account has been starting to retweet old lineups and old festival photos, I'm guessing probably as some sort of PR strategy to bury the recent three-day disaster. Another thing to note that's interesting, in prior years, the festival's previous organizers made event held an annual Black Friday sale of tickets for this coming year's Electric Zoo. This year, there was no sale at all. In fact, nothing has been announced as of today for Electric Zoo 2024. Not a great sign for those hoping to see a redemption storyline this summer. I think they have a lot of financial and potentially legal issues to worry about. But I'm definitely leaning towards like now is the kind of the clear time to cut the cord. And it's not worth the risk of so many things potentially going wrong uh, to to warrant the investment of your time. I don't really feel like I trust them to want to do that. It's really about having our time kind of wasted uh, when we could have been doing other things. I really don't know what's in the cards for Avant Gardner and Electric Zoo's future, but if I had to make a guess, it's not looking too bright. What we can hope for, at least, is for them to continue to be called out for their misconduct, to hold the people accountable who are collecting our ticket fees, and to hope for a better promoter to take over the venue and all of its endeavors. While I don't condone any of what Avant Gardner has done in recent years, it really would be a shame to see the venue close its doors entirely. We can only hope for some responsible actions to be made. That just about wraps up part two of the first official episode of You Had to Be There. 